It's 13 minutes past 10. So while we've made it right to the new year, we're still burdened with a declining public trust in our leadership and our institutions. Our next guest has written an opinion piece that unpacks not only the value of public trust in society, but reminds us of the power we hold as citizens when we recognize its currency. She challenges us as readers to reconsider investing in our leaders and asks us to, you know, set new benchmarks for the leaders we have in order to regain our collective trust. Dr. Shital Bula is a lecturer in sociology at the University of Zululand and joins us this morning. Dr. Bula, good morning. Firstly, Happy New Year and uh, thank you so much for the piece that you wrote. You were clearly in a reflective mood. Tell me about why you felt inspired. Happy New Year. Good morning. Oh, morning and uh, compliments of the season to you. And uh, I think uh, let's hope for a very positive and proactive and progressive 2023 in South Africa. Yeah. Go on. And I think, you know, to uh, respond to your question, um, let's just analyze what a taxing year it's been for all of our South Africans. And yet we are still facing the same challenges. And I don't have to go far. I mean, look to my surroundings. Um, so, I mean, our Itekwini municipality infrastructure hasn't been restored since our floods. There are people in the outskirts of the city of the Itekwini area that are sitting without running water in their households. And it's concerning. It's generally concerning. And you question, where is our leadership? How are they serving our people? In your reflections, uh, Dr. How do you say we got here as a collective? At what point did we lose our agency to an extent where we were almost participants in allowing ourselves to get to the place that we're at? I think this has been going on for, in my opinion, a number of years. And I mean, if you, if you let's just start. Uh, and I, I think also, let's look at our leadership. Right. And I'm I'm very interested, it was a big interest to me personally. Um, There was a journalist by the name of um, Isaac Mashlangu in the Sunday Times uh, yesterday, for instance, that actually had a very nice chart up on state capture. And in there, 27 of our leaders and politicians, either not charged or pending or before court for a whole range of fraudulent behavior and corruption. And uh, this is just it. And for me personally, Understanding society, looking at the way society should be directed, looking at what's going on around us as well. These deviant acts have now become normalized and we've become accustomed into accepting it. Yeah. Also, I think very important, and I think people are not aware of the fact, if you have to define and understand what deviance is, right? So let me start with the basics. Deviance is relative. It is really relative. There's absolute no way of defining act, but it's defined in relation to a particular standard and no standard is fixed or absolute. So we have allowed this trajectory of corruption, theft, payroll fraud, embezzlement, forgery, tax fraud, asset misappropriation, money laundering, um, various other forms and types of unethical behavior and corruption have become normative practices now. And going back to understanding what is deviance, 
actions are deviant with regard to the standards of a particular society at a particular time in its history. And so whatever we as a society and community, and this is where our power lies, wherever we are and how acceptance we are, we actually are defining and indicating, you know what, this is normative, this is normalized, this is abnormal, this is not okay. That's where it lies. So we've become accustomed, again, according to your article, to this climate of having fraudulent or unethical behavior become really what you could call nom- what you call normative practices in our democracy. You know, we are used to you know the the issues of malfeasance that surrounds most of our leaders. In fact, I think there's a famous line in South Africa where people like to say. They're all the same. What can we do? You know, this is a very difficult one. And I think determinants of creating a greater awareness of public trust, its value, the fact that it's our right. And let's just look at the basics. Let's look at the Bill of Rights in South Africa, Section 27. We all have the right to running water, food, and the basic necessities to have these comforts as a citizen. And the reality is that, I mean, I'm not quite sure if everyone's really equipped or understanding the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the very bottom and base of those needs are our basic necessities and resources for a quality or a basic life. And once those are achieved, can we then go higher? And I just also want to make reference to the fact that there are determinants for citizens around the globe to have a greater value, to be a war, uh, more aware of what public trust are. And um, if we, for example, go and look at demographic and recent stats, you know, put together and, and academic research and scholarly literature that is available to us, you could clearly say, for instance, um, just at an example state, um, for example, you find in the United States, um, people there with a higher income, and this is based on 2010 stats, have higher confidence in their government, Hmm. right? And then if you compare that to China, and I mean, their scholars too as well, as Zhao and Hu from 2017, they find that a higher salary is negatively related to trusting their government. So all these demographic indicators, so in terms of our age groups, educational level, income groups, all also determine and also will place for our personal value on public trust. And for me, in the in this country, those that are challenged economically have got no choice but to trust and just hope. For me, the issue is how critical are we? How um, aware are we of our rights as a democracy? Do we actually utilize all these mass media channels around us? to to create awareness at every level of society. I like that question. I like that question around issues of awareness. How aware are we of our rights? Because isn't it ironical that, you know, we are a people who spent many years fighting for a fundamental right to be, right? We fought a system that marginalized us based on the colors of our skin. But once that turns around, who then do we become after you know, democracy in terms of the understanding of furthering those rights. 
Absolutely. And I think also central central to um, letting the public trust and the value of public trust slide in a democracy was this, uh, this whole capitalist globalization drive. So it became totally acceptable to achieve um, economic in, um, growth and social mobility through unethical ways and means of deviance and so forth. And then we as society, we look around us and we applaud that and we say, wow, look how well they've done. You know, they've really gone places, they're doing well for themselves. But this comes down to also a lack of transparency and it goes back to our leaders as well. We've been very accustomed into uh, not always knowing details and um, not being uh, fully informed of what's going on at the top level. And it's public funds. It is public funds. And, you know, at this point, I think, you know, we must look back and uh, let me also look at the origins of public trust. So historically, a public trust doctrine was founded in Roman law. And the public has a right to many natural resources, such as running water, sea, fresh air, oxygen to breathe. And the responsibility was upon the state to manage and sustain these resources so that people can benefit. Um, and already we had a point in South Africa where portable water and even, for example, our beaches, the quality has been compromised in our country. And you find there are various definitions. If anybody wants to understand what public trust is, there are various definitions available to us on the net. But the overall and very inclusive approach is the fact that selective individuals in our society are privileged to have practice rights and titles and the public are allowed to have expectations of these leaders. And I stress that word, allowed. We put these politicians there in place. And their responsibility is that they will hold the interests of the society above their own. And then, of course, you know, if you look at broad-based understanding concepts of public trust, um, they, they make reference to the fact that certain natural and cultural resources are managed for public benefit. And the fact that all of these resources should be available to the public for multiple reasons. And some of these multiple reasons include enjoyment and fulfillment and happy experiences. So this is where my contention lies. In your article, um, I love the part where uh, to I think it's uh, towards the end of your article, we, you, you, you say to us, we need to analyze if we have normalized corruption within our leadership. Have we also normalized the fact that we are no longer the primary focus and concern for our leaders? Why Absolutely. aren't we the primary focus and concern for our leaders, uh, I ask, and we are content with, you know, that status quo. We are content with putting people into power and knowing for sure that they're not interested in us. I think this acceptance goes back years. And I mean, I'm going to make reference here to the apartheid era. Let's be realistic. The majority of us, we are people of color. Mm. We were never prioritized by our apartheid government. We were never a priority. And that became um, a normative acceptance for South Africans. And I make reference here to, I'm of Indian South African origin, and mm. I proudly will say that I'm a patriotic South African. Mm. But let's go back historically um, to my heritage and the Indian migration to South Africa. 
And this is just going to put, uh, serve as an example. They came into this country, and let's look at Natal, Durban, for instance. They've come into this country, built our own places of worship, built our own educational structures amidst their community. And it happened around the Cape country as well, Eastern Cape. The community put funds together to build together community centers, build their own places of worship. Because we knew by our mere um, ethnic identity and racial demarcation that we can never ask the government for these things. We're not white. Mm, mm, mm. So there we go back. And that is where our oldest generation had this approach. You know what? We have all these rights as South African citizens. Of course, we've got these rights. But uh, uh, can we ask? Look at our history. Look at what we've been led by and what has become a very norm. And my thing is that, you know, we, of course, had to conform at that time. But now we are 20 years a democracy. Where's mm. the value in the democracy? Mm. Mm. And I must also highlight to you, I don't know if people are aware. Do you know in, in KwaZulu-Natal in particular, some of the first places of worship, the Hindu temples, for instance, I'm I'm Hindu by religion. Mm. The Hindu temples were actually established and built prior to us getting citizenship in this country. So what does that say to you? So this become a, a cultural practice. It's become a South African practice now that, you know what, um, the, the, the element of public trust may, is not really uh, uh, valued. Maybe we don't need it. And we've let now very big things slide to the extreme very big things where our normal middle class people are now suffering without having access to basic resources. I mean, how I mean, how ridiculous is this? We're in a globalized world. We all have access to technological resources and so forth. And I mean, I, I was so upset um, about two, three weeks back or two weeks back. There was just a scenario, and I make mention of it in my opinion piece as well, that the Isekeleni municipality officials weren't aware that the surrounding uh, areas had water intermittently till the end of December. So how do, what, what does that say about our local municipalities, governments, and our leadership? By the way, if you want uh, to ask the doctor a question, please call on the number 086-000-2032. We are talking about an opinion piece that she wrote. You can also send us a voice note or a WhatsApp on the number 061-410-4107. We're talking to Dr. Shital Bula, who is a lecturer in sociology at the University of Zululand. So, I mean, we, we're still plagued, of course, by the, that triple challenge of unemployment, inequality, and poverty. But also, interestingly enough, um, you know, we see something different happening. For example, as of 2022, Doctor, we saw how public trust has had increased in non-state actors. For example, uh, an institution like the Gift of the Givers, right? And I make this example because uh, we heard the news of uh, the uh, Philippi fires again and organizations like that are always uh, you know, going to the forefront to make sure that they provide solutions for the public in those moments of needs. Why is this now the case where, you know, public trust has increased at non-state actor level as opposed to the state? 
well, that's just it. Because uh, we, we are not putting the pressure enough, in my opinion, to say it's your responsibility. We are making our own means. And the classic example now as well, the new uh, means to cope now in this environment where we are so challenged with ESCOM, for instance. People are now going with their own resources, going and spending on uh, inverters and all sorts of solar power and alternative means, basically, to keep themselves afloat in their businesses and in terms of meeting their basic needs of electricity and power. This has become a big shift. It's become normalized because they have been delivering for us. The gift of the givers have been feeding our poor people. That is it. We, we you know, remember something. Public trust. They obviously need, they, there's a measure in place. And this is it. We don't think and consider the measure. The measures are outcome-based. If our municipalities and governments had to deliver, then you'd be willing to trust. And we see the commitment to the public, but no, our non-government organizations are committed to the public instead of our government organizations. We and I mean, and, and then the reality is also, I think the average South African picks up the newspaper. It's inundated with uh, news reports on corruption, state capture, um, and so forth. And uh, it's and, and you, and you, you, you don't want to, and I think it's become a way of survival for us as just as human beings. How disturbing is it us for us South Africans? We every time you've got to open the newspaper and and it's it's a hard core to deal with all the time that you are constantly being deprived of basic resources, and our leaders are living this uh, flamboyant lives, and uh, all these people, for example, are either not charged, they're pending, and and so forth. And you know what is more disturbing for me personally? I mean. Um, as a young South African, is to see the 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 level and the the amount of wealth that has been in lost, uh, lost and embezzled, and that is not being directed to services. And this, for me, is personally problematic. I mean, for instance, uh, why not go far? I mean, ESCOM, for instance, the the um, CEOs that have been charged, I mean, the, the amounts are ludicrous. It goes into millions, for instance. So how does how do we feel, you know? And this is just it. It's I think it's reached such a point where uh, it's, it's you know, it, as a human being, you just now, where do you turn? What do you do? Where do you turn? What do you do? We have a caller, Katleho, uh, in the Val, has a question for Dr. Bula. Hi, Katleho. Katleho? Hello. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Happy New Year, Katleho. Uh, Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, look, uh, just wanted to say, for me, if you look at, uh, I mean, I was listening to your guest speaking about uh, Indian South Africans. I just want to look at it from an African perspective in this country to say, um, post-1994 or pre-1994, uh, those who were Africans who got involved in politics did not get into politics uh, using market thinking. Uh, you know, I, I think that part of the reason why there has been a disconnect between society and those who are leading is because uh, uh, there has been an introduction of market politics. Our society and our government is a liberal society and a neoliberal government. So basically, those who are in public office are not there 
to 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 for public interest. Uh, why? Because our society, the society which we live in, it's a market thinking society where it's about what is in it, what isn't in it for me. Um, so that, and if you look at internationally, uh, you know, uh, countries that have pursued the liberal uh, path. Uh, there's been just a disengagement of society in terms of uh, voting. If you look at since 1994, uh, you know, people are disengaging just simply in terms of going to vote. I don't want to go into award meetings and other aspects where the public is expected to participate in the process of democracy. So that's my view. Uh, It's the market thinking that has been introduced in society where everything is about money and what's in it for me and no longer about service. So before you go, though, if if we don't use the market system, as you call it, what is your suggested alternative? Look, there are are many alternatives. I mean, for me, uh, I usually say the United States uh, and, the, and, 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 and the UK are not the greatest example of what democracy should look like. Uh, if you look at, particularly if you look at their democracies today, they are one of the, France is one of the oldest democracies in the world, uh, including America. But if you look at the level of moral decay in those countries, it's astonishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying we should reinvent the wheel, uh, but I think, at least from the political background I, I come from, uh, maybe I'll just uh, a quote. We say uh, we want to establish we want to establish an African socialist democracy, uh, uh, and 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 uh, you know in this democracy we recognize uh, the primacy of the material and spiritual interest of the individual. Now this this African socialist democracy must be creative, uh, and it must be uh, original. In, in conception. So I'm suggesting that ultimately the people of South Africa and those who have an interest in a society that is more egalitarian must be able to develop, uh, you know, together with the people of South Africa towards a society that is more egalitarian, where the, where the people shall have more power uh, and more capacity to determine, uh, to have agency and to determine, to have self-determination. But I also need to say this when I ask uh, KG. I think the struggle, I was listening to your guest there say, from my perspective, from the political background that I come from, the struggle in this country has never been a civil rights struggle. It was turned into a civil rights struggle later. But essentially, the struggle was always a national struggle, a national liberation struggle. Uh, and, and, and the question that ought to be asked is whether the nation that struggled was able to achieve self-determination, the ability to determine for themselves what they want. The Indian society, for an example, in this country, to a huge extent has been able to determine, to have self-determination. White people in this country do not even have self-determination they control, but the African people cannot even determine for themselves the kind of life that they have. Essentially, that's, I think, and they are, they are the majority. And without uh, uh, the majority, who are the African people, who are indigenous, having the ability to have self-determination, there is no way that they can be 
justice and that there can be equality and that there can be peace. So issues of violence, criminality and all of that will always form a, a serious feature of South African society to, to in the context of, as long as the fundamental questions of, of national liberation and national sovereignty of the African people have not been answered. Thank you for your comment uh, and thoughts, Katleho. Do you want to respond uh, to Katleho's thoughts, uh, Dr. Bula? Yes, I, I would. And I think it's 100% correct from the political perspective. But I also want to add, you know, for me, central to enshrining a culture of public trust, for people to be aware of it, is for our people to be very critical of our leadership and government and so forth. And that critical thinking is only going to come through education and education and and the reality is also we've also got to look at our demographic uh, demographics in terms of education levels of the majorities of our country as well i mean you you and i both know that our illiteracy rate in the south africa is high mm. and this to me um is very central because if if you are illiterate and you've just about managing to think about achieving the basics in life. How do you elevate yourself to a next level to say, you know what, let me address this and look at this and com- contribute to this way through being being a voice. And that is possibly, in my, in, my, in my opinion as well, one of the reasons as to why, um, you know, the, the, the ANC still has loyalty in this mm. country as, as well. They, mm. For me, they, they, they ain't criticized enough. Mm-hmm. They're criticized. Uh, I mean, we are critical of them sometimes to the degree that, for example, an investigative journalist finds a story, Correct. follows a story. But then the problem is there's so many of the stories, uh, you know, we, 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 we are only interested in the ones that are current. Right. And we, we let others go by the wayside because there's so many to contend with in the first place. Absolutely. And but my thing is that, uh, I mean, how many uh, I know of a handful of state institutions that have like fraud hotlines and so forth. It hasn't even been um, enshrined with every institution um, and this kind of thing. And that's just it. We dependent on our journalists, on investigative journalism. Yeah? And I indicate that in my piece as well, mm, mm. that that's we 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 uh, and yet we have a voice. And I think that's just it. We also have. Uh, uh, failed to acknowledge that our voice can have power. But the other reality is also in dire socioeconomic uh, circumstances and what the average South African is experiencing, how do you, if you're just about managing to navigate yourself and your family's needs, how do you elevate yourself along those lines as well? So in my opinion, you know, knowing full well that uh, we've got low education levels in, amidst our citizenry. Um, we are not always in the spaces or fully aware to challenge our leaders. They have, of course, now or chosen to continue in this way and work to their benefit. What stops them from, from putting together a policy in place that basically holds every, every politician to transparency? and accountability in regard to public funds and so forth. Doctor, we have a a listener who has sent a voice note question for you. Uh, Let's hear what they have to say. 
Good morning, KG and the professor. I, I hear the professors asking very critical, brutal questions. But I would like her to advise us as to what should be the way forward. Because yes, indeed, we have normalized the corruption. We have normalized everything wrong and bad with our politicians, and it's not good. But then, what is the professor suggesting that we should do as activists? It's activist uh, citizen in Polokwane. Thank you. Good uh, morning and happy new year to all all of you. Uh, activist, we uh, we've lost uh, the Dr. Bula's uh, line, so we're going to try and call her back and get her back on the line, and then she can will play your will replay your voice note again for her, and hopefully she can respond to that. But in the meantime, let's play this poignant Bob Marley song. Yeah, that's the redemption song of Bob Marley. Uh, you know, I agree with uh, our producer, Kanya Bonani, uh, who, you know, when uh, she made the determination for us to have these conversations, believed at least at the start of the new year, we still have our core and our center. Because, you know, as the new year unfolds, they're coming. They're coming to try and convince us how we should think regards the elections next year. So we invited Dr. Shidal Bula, who's a lecturer in sociology, at the University of Zululand because she wrote a poignant piece, you know, uh, or, you know, an opinion piece that unpacks not only the value of public trust in society, but reminds us of the power we hold as citizens when we recognize its currency. And she challenges us to reconsider investing in our leaders and asks us to set new benchmarks for the leaders we have in order to regain our collective trust. We had lost uh, Dr. Bula uh, earlier on. I hope we've got it back. Doctor, I just want, uh, and I also want to do a quote uh, from uh, George Orwell. You know, George Orwell says, the people that elect corrupt politicians are not victims, but they are accomplices. So, Dr. Bula, I just want to quickly play that voice note from, uh, before I have to let you go, from the listener, and then you can respond to it. Good morning, KG and the professor. I, I hear the professors asking very critical, brutal questions, but I would like her to advise us as to what should be the way forward. Because, yes, indeed, we have normalized the corruption. We have normalized everything wrong and bad with our politicians, and it's not good. But then, what is the professor suggesting that we should do as activists? It's activist uh, citizen in Polokwane. Thank you. Good uh, morning and happy new year to all all of you. I hope you can respond now, Dr. Bula. I think, you know, in my opinion and my personal vision, I want to see community activism now, where people in the communities actually come together and help one another to, number one, identify the deviant acts of behavior. Number two, access mass media platforms to alert everybody. And number three, we need to have this broad-based ethos. And I think investigative journalism needs to support this, where we say, you know what? We want to build public trust, make people aware of what public trust, and this is what it takes. We need to have a benchmark, we, and benchmarks are ba- um, outcome-based. And also, more importantly, 
for someone to understand, comprehend, and adopt a value of public trust in their lives as well, look at the benefits of it. We know from around the globe, for example, one of the central benefits to public trust is, of course, greater foreign investment, overall functionality, um, cohesiveness at every level. And considering the fact that we still have racial diversity, challenges, discord, and so forth. It's what we need at this particular point. And so we need active citizenry for now. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. For, thank you for your time and thank you for your peace because it's forced all of us to really think. Thank you very much and uh, Happy New Year and uh, good luck for your endeavors for the year 2023. Keep forcing us to think. Thank you, Dr. Bula. No pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Dr. Shital Bula is a lecturer in sociology and the piece that she wrote, you can get it on IOL. It's 1049.